This episode is brought to you by Onnit. You know when you're so into what you're doing that you can't think about anything else? Feel that kind of focus every day with Alpha Brain. Its clinically studied nootropic ingredients support memory, mental speed, and flow state, that in the zone feeling. Alpha Brain is available as capsules, powder, or a ready-to-drink shot. And for extreme situations, there's Alpha Brain Black Label. Use code SPOTIFY to save cash. Learn more at onnit.com. Hello Bulls fans, welcome to Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Thank you for joining us. Today on the show, we hit on some small new I- news items relating to our Bulls, revisiting the market and trade, because why the hell wouldn't we? I'm still I'm still a little bit excited about it, to be honest with you, as well as diving a little bit deeper on the importance of Bulls center Nikola Vucevic. I want to I wanna hit on that topic, because I think it's something that's, uh, that's worth exploring. And with me on today's show to get into all of that and more is one of the first, if not the first person to ever pick up a mic and build a podcast centered around our Chicago Bulls. He is the host of the Bulls Beat and Big Red Bus podcast. He is Doug Tonus, and he joins me now. Doug, how are you, sir? Uh, Thank you so much for having me, Mark. Doing outstanding. That's good to hear, mate. Also with us is probably the biggest Cleveland Cavalier fan I personally know. He is Cavs Eye Fred, a.k.a. Fred Pfeiffer. Fred, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, Mark. I'm glad that we're uh, talking on Skype. The last show I was on, it sounded like you had me on... Uh, connected with uh, to your computer with a Campbell's soup can and a clothesline. I don't know what the quality of the vocals were, but hopefully this will be an improved effort on your part. Well, that that wasn't my fault. <laughs> was it? No, it was, you, you're the one that dialed into it. <laughs> okay, <you're right. laughs> Mark held his, his soup can very tightly. <laughs> the thought's attention was not a Mark's soup can. <laughs> Anyhow. We we got you online. That that in itself is a is a success um, for me at least. I'll I'll take that as a win. But um, boys, I'm I'm glad you uh, are able to join me. For whatever reason, it slipped my mind that you're on the show a couple of weeks back. I actually thought we were last time we caught up was uh, before the off season. But uh, time flies, and uh, I guess you never. You know, whenever I'm talking to Fred, it's always a forgetful event. So I must have forgotten that we did catch up a couple of weeks ago. So we don't necessarily have to go back over and review the offseason, all that sort of stuff. And to be fair, that's all been done and dusted. And largely the Bulls offseason is, is, has been run and won. But um, now that I've got you on the line, I suppose, and we're still, uh, I guess, only 72 hours post the, the trade itself. I have listened to the Big Red Boss, but nonetheless, I uh, would be interested to hear your thoughts on the on the marketing trade, how it all felt for you guys, and uh, yeah, what what are your thoughts on it now? Now that we've had a few days to uh, sort of mar- marinate on the uh, on the trade itself, probably the one thought that has changed a little bit for me. At first, I was kind of a fan of trading for Nance directly, and thought he would have been a great fit and on the team, and really filled a lot of what we needed. And maybe the one thing that has changed a little bit since that point in time for me is. After looking into Larry Nance, understanding he has Crohn's disease and uh, he misses a lot of time and, you know, I'm sure it's a very difficult thing for him to deal with and not all of his injuries are related to that, but, you know, certainly a guy who's going to have availability issues. Uh, and, and thinking about that a little bit, looking into him a little more, I now feel pretty comfortable with going with the pick and, um, you know, player. I think that just works out a lot better for us. Um, than, than I did initially, where I was, I was a little bit more of like, rather have Larry Nance than, uh, than uh, Derek Jones Jr. 
Yeah, I think that's reasonable. What about you, Cavs Eye Fred? Um, were you more uh, happy about this from a Cavs perspective than a Bulls perspective? Well, no, I'm, I wasn't. I wasn't a really big fan of Derek Jones Jr. Even even with all the discussions last year about us potentially getting getting him as restricted free agent, uh, I am not usually a fan of guys who can't shoot. Outside of Chris Dunn, is pretty much the only player I've really enjoyed who uh, was as bad as a shooter as Derek is. Uh, you know, he's a poor free throw shooter. I think he shot thirty one percent from three. I realize he's a young a young player, and that can improve with a lot of hard effort, a lot of work. Um, but was he in year three, and we just haven't seen that from him? Although I will say, you know, the more I've watched on him, I mean, his athleticism is incredible, really special. And um, I am starting to, to – he's starting to grow on me as, as the potential to as a lockdown defender for threes, twos, and ones. But uh, this idea that he can play the four is just a little bit bewildering to me. He's 6'5". He's not – he doesn't look like he weighs 190 pounds. You know, I, I don't think he can play the four. I understand we're, we're all trending towards the smaller – NBA, but to me still, he's a three with the ability to guard shooting guards and point guards, and, and that's a very great asset to have. We still have a massive hole at the four. It's like Patrick Williams. Um, I guess you can put DeMar DeRozan behind him, but who else are we playing at the four? Uh, hello, you know, we got one more move to make, and so that um, is the only negative for me is that Larry Nance Jr. obviously would have been a better fit there. But, you know, I, I put this out on Twitter. Would you rather have Larry Nance in the number two or Jones Jr. in the number one? 71.5% said Jones Jr. in the number one. So uh, 71.5. And, you know, a guy who I really trust a lot, um, mutual friend for all of us, Sean Hyken, I reached out to him. Hey, help me feel better about these offensive numbers from you know, Jones Jr. And his point to me was just expect he wouldn't expect him to play that much. They'll probably flip, flip him again at the deadline. The picks were the point of the trade. So, you know, I'll ride with that. Um, overall, you know, to get anything for Larry Markkinen, uh, especially a, a first-rounder, is something that I think we should all be celebrating. But, you know, again, I think the bigger picture is, do either of you guys have any concerns that this was done in an effort to keep out of the tax in the following year? If so, I, I mean, I have that concern. Um, you know, what say you? Well, I mean, that should always be a concern with any, uh, with for any team that Jerry Reinsdorf owns, I suppose. Like that, that, that should always be a concern. But I guess from my point of view, like this was probably more done in in hope of recouping a first round pick in the event that uh, we lose one in the in the Lonzo tampering investigation. We still doesn't have a resolution at this point, so I'm, I'm assuming that was the impetus of the trade more so than. Then, um, you know, wanting to duck the tax. Now, I understand that uh, that was part of the plan too, that the Bulls didn't want to necessarily take on long-term money, which I understand. And, and maybe they're sort of positioning it, positioning it that way too as well with Zach Levine's upcoming, you know, max contract extension, which we, we assume is going to happen. So maybe they are protecting themselves somewhat from the tax, but um, they're going over the tax line at some point regardless. So I think this to me... Probably was more of a more of a uh, more of an effort, I guess, or an attempt to to get a first round pick to to re- recoup maybe one they're going to lose in a uh, in the tampering investigation. Well, let's stop there real quick because I want to jump on that. Some of the comments I've heard in the past few weeks are patent. You know, I just think absolutely ridiculous on the tampering thing because it's like I was I can't remember what show I was listening to. It's one of the other Bulls pods, and and one of the hosts was like, "I'm you know I'm glad they're tampering," and I'm like. Are you freaking nuts? Like, if we lose a first-round pick because of this after sending three out the door, I'm sorry. That's, like, bordering on inexcusable. Like, we should find out exactly what happened. 
because you've hit a new level of cult worship in Sandy if you think that's okay. Like, I'm a results-driven guy, so if it's a second-round pick, I don't care. But if the league takes a first-rounder from us, yeah, I'm going to be angry at the league. But I'm also going to be kind of PO'd at the incompetence to lose a first-round pick when all you had to do was wait a few hours and not announce this deal. Like, that's – hello, we've lost our minds. This is kind of like an uh, important thing. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, th- I don't know what, what podcast you're referring to, but uh, and I, I don't know the context. But I would assume... Mark, if this happened with the previous group, yeah. you would be shipping pitchforks and torches to the United States to get... <laughs> I mean, this is like insanity, the excuse if I've, I've heard about this. Mark, I mean, Doug, what say you? Am I nuts here? I guess, I guess it kind of depends a little bit on the details. In the end, I mean, it would be it would be obviously very poor if we lost the pick, and management would be somewhat to blame for it. But you know, without really knowing the details of the story, you know, if, if the agent just leaked the deal against what the, the the teams wanted them to do, there's not a whole lot of control to have over that. You know, all the teams are talking with everyone early and doing this type of stuff. So it would be interesting to find out if the Bulls are really doing something that no one else was doing, or if just someone complained and they're just gonna. You know, it's kind of like going through a speed trap. You know, they only catch one guy and, and pull him over and make an example of him. But, you know, like there's a thousand guys speeding on the road. So if we just happen to be that one guy, but we're doing the same thing as everyone else, it, you know, it's really hard to blame management for that. Uh, I do want to step back one one second into the tax conversation that, that you had brought up. I think we definitely did this trade to avoid the tax, or at least that was a big part of not getting Larry Nance, regardless of the, the pick. And, and so maybe... We will try to avoid the tax next year. Maybe we'll pay the tax next year. It could also just be that they didn't want to commit to the tax for Larry Nance. You know, they may have just said, you know, we're willing to pay the tax next year, but we want a little bit of flexibility to choose, you know, next year what we need after seeing this season and and pick a different player. You know, they just may not have wanted this player and and thought this was the guy to to pay the tax. So I think paying the, avoiding the tax is almost certainly a big part of this. Without seeing the results, they they don't want to do that. I'm not at all confident that that has changed and that's not really a management thing that's more of an ownership thing but my guess is unless this team gets to the second round you're not going to see them pay the tax yeah i think that's i think that's a fair assumption based on you know how they've how they've operated in the past but um i i guess as well like just thinking about it thinking about the first round pick like i mentioned there that they wanted to maybe recoup a pick that that they potentially will lose but based on how this current management team has operated like and, and fred you alluded to it before like Who's to say they even keep this pick that they've acquired from Portland? Who's to say they keep Derek Jones Jr. or anyone else, to be frank? Maybe they continue to flip this roster around and maybe they go over the tax or you know push towards higher to the tax, let's say, based on a, you know a potential acquisition they make at the deadline or something like that. So uh, I don't want to rule anything in or out, I suppose, at this point, just due to the fact that how things have happened this offseason are very different to what we've experienced as Bulls fans. But uh, I think... You know what you noted there, Doug. So, so long as the Reinsdorfs are, are running this team, or owning this team, that there'll always be a commitment to avoiding the tax as much as possible. So, um, yeah, that, that that's probably a general mandate that sits in the background. So we should ignore it. But um, maybe I'm being a little bit naive and hoping that this was done more so for for the first round pick than avoiding the tax. But uh, you, yeah, you're, you're probably right. Up on this one, really quick, because this is a good point. And I heard your you know your rambling. I really enjoyed your last. 
<laughs> three in the morning podcast. Uh, very enjoyable. I encourage everyone to listen to it. I could tell you've lost a lot of sleep due to baby management and uh, also <laughs> all that going on. Um, and you know, it's a good point, right? We're finally acting like a big market team. I'm a hundred percent behind all these moves. I love it. You know, but you and your buddy, Mr. Fishing for Likes, always, always have to follow <laughs> up those comments. Always with those comments with a diss on, you know, packs in the previous group because they didn't take that road. And my counter is, and always has been, and it happens to be the right one, is that, you know, act like a big market option really wasn't available to packs. Yes, it PAX was. Essentially, let me hold on. Packs essentially worked <laughs> under a different owner. And let me give you two examples, Mark. Before the 2008 season, Pax wanted to hire Mike D'Antoni. As great as Rose was, can you imagine the heights he would have achieved with, you know, Mike D's offense? It would have cost a lot of money. That choice was nixed by ownership due to cost. Then he went after Doug Collins, and that was nixed for an even more bizarre reason that I don't want to get into right now. So he had to settle on the cheap third option, Vinny Del Negro. Let's compare and contrast that to how ownership handled Acme's request to hire Billy Donovan. One more example. My minor celebrity status has afforded me some conversations <laughs> with scouts, coaches, writers in the know, and I am 100% certain that the management team in 2012 did not want to trade Kyle Korber that summer. They looked at every possible angle to keep him, but the only way they could – was to go into tax. And when Derek was on crutches and not available for an entire season and your head coach didn't even start Corver, I can't say it's 100% true, but I suspect they couldn't convince Jerry to become a tax team for Corver. So to me, all this, like, we're acting like we're a big market team, yeah, That, but this last move still gave me pause. To me, Larry Nance Jr. was a much better option for this team. And if the desire truly was to, you know, get a first-round pick, that's fine. I, I'm living with it. But I'm concerned they nixed it because they don't want to become a tax team next year. And, if it, you know, I hope that's not true. And the way they handled Billy Donovan indicates that that's not the way we're going to be going forward under his son. But it is still a concern for me. So I'll get off my soapbox and let you comment. Well, I mean, the co coaches don't count towards the cap anyway. So that's a cost outside of the cap. So to me, that's kind of irrelevant, to be fair. And this it's is the, the same. Plan, Mark. But, but it's still the same ownership group that paid uh, Fred Hoiberg five years, $25 billion. Which, isn't, uh, which wasn't like top of the market money. It's more than Billy Donovan. More than Billy Donovan? Is that true? I oh, it's it's close. I think Donovan's on six million now. To be to be fair, and and Fred Hoiberg was on five million per year. So it's comparable dollars. All right. Well, we'll agree to this. <laughs> move on. All right. Well, let's move on. I mean that that uh, that that <laughs> that silence there. I think is a good place to move on. So you mentioned it before about. Uh, you know, the, the fact that this team still has a glaring hole at power forward or at least center, let's say, was, you know, a, a backup forward. We, we need some sort of backup big, and I think that still remains true post this trade. I think that's where Larry Nance would have really helped, actually. But nonetheless, obviously, they've gone the, the Derek Jones and first-round pick route. So let's talk about backup bigs. And the reason why I want to talk about it is Sham Strania on the, uh, on the Athletic this, uh, this morning had a report that the Bulls are actually going to pursue Paul Millsap, which is something I think... Every Bulls podcaster, every Bulls fan out there has been speculating that they should go after Paul, Mouse, Paul Millsap. It's now been reported that they are going to do so. Um, the Brooklyn Nets and the Golden State Warriors are obviously chasing him as well. But Doug, do you think there's any realistic chance that, I don't know, that Millsap pull, uh, picks the Bulls rather than, than, than the Nets or the Warriors, let's say? 
Boy, you sure wouldn't think so. <laughs> you know, just just going off the cuff, you'd think a guy like Millsap probably would be most willing to sign with the Nets. And maybe the one thing the Bulls have going for them over the Nets is maybe we have more minutes to offer. Mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure what the Brooklyn rotation looks like at the four without having and looking up their roster. They they might actually even be fine there too. So I don't think that's something that's going to work out most likely. You know, I'd say if the guys left, I, I don't think I'm talking crazy when I, I would say that Millsap is probably the number one choice of Bulls fans of the guys that are potentially available. Yeah, I think so. What about you, Fred? Do you think he, there's any chance that he picks the uh, the Bulls over the Nets, let's say, or even the Warriors? Well, I hope so, man. This is really going to challenge your uh, he got his guy speech from your last show. <laughs> I was laughing out loud listening to that one. Why? Why? <laughs> well, Doug, in case you did you listen to uh, his last show, Mark's last show? I, I, I didn't. Now I feel called out. But oh, I've not wow. listened to anyone's show in, wow. you listen in probably to it, a year. And try not to, to laugh out loud when he got guy speech. It's such a meathead statement. It's like complimenting oh, yeah. someone for zipping up their pants. Like, if anything, the fact that you knew that Ball was his guy, it, it hurt. It didn't help these negotiations. This isn't something to praise since we don't know what the asking price was then and what it was now. He wanted Ball at the tra- trade deadline. It didn't happen. He acquired him in a sign-and-trade. Call me crazy. We could have used him down the stretch. I, I would have preferred that we acquired him earlier. So he so got everyone. his guy. It's kept on waxing poetic about. Like, you he, he, he he wanted his guy. He got his guy, Derek Jones Jr., a year ago. Uh, or he tried to get him a year ago when he finally got his guy. Yeah, you gave up an asset for him when you could have signed him last year for nothing. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm glad he targeted someone. I'm glad he acquired him. But it's not. It's not praiseworthy. It isn't something to go around yelling at everybody. He got his guy. So this is really going to put it to the test now because now this is the guy we need. You know, we need a power forward. This is the guy we all want. And there's two teams that look like better fits for him. So let's see if he can get his guy. Um, but, you know, I just – I just kind of sound like an Arturus hater. Yeah, I was going to say, are you, are you hating on Arturus just to prop up your boy John Paxson? I'm, I'm, no, it sounds that way. I mean, like, I don't even like, a, I don't, you know, like, I'm not a huge Arturus fan, but you just seem to be going out of your way. I love Arturus. I'm just pointing out some of It the... doesn't sound like it. It sounds like you love him like you <laughs> love listen, Kirk Heimrich. Yeah. Listen, like, all those times fact, you're like, I love Kirk Heimrich. I just, you know. I happen to know, as a minor celebrity, I happen to know that Pax wanted Dad Young six months before he acquired him. Did you and Mr. Fishing for Likes, uh, would you guys would have said, Pax wanted his guy. He got his guy. Of course you wanted him. He got his uh, guy I, in I, 2016, right? After missing out on him in 2010, neither you. I wouldn't be talking about that. Neither should you. It's so ridiculous. It's the fourth pillar of meathead fans to say he got his guy. <laughs> Come on, man. Says the mouth, biggest mouth breather I've ever met. But, I mean, when Paxson signed Thad Young and Sadoransky, I was complimentary. Uh, you go, you can go listen back to those podcasts from a couple of years back and you'll hear oh, he that. he got his guy. Well, he got his guy. He did. He got a good guy. I was happy about that. But when he got Dwayne Wade, I was very, very angry because it was a terrible signing. But we're not going down that path because we'll lose another half an hour of the podcast. But uh, you... I'm, not, I'm gonna, I'm not, I, is it just me or I'm gonna start to freak out if we don't get him though? Like, what is our answer as backup power forward? God forbid if Williams misses a few games, what are we gonna do? Hello, well, Demar plays power forward, and then you start Troy Brown Jr. or something like that. Demar. He's not exactly known for his defense. That's like a position I want someone who's a solid rebounder and a good defender. I I don't know. I just feel like this is a position we need to get somebody who's good, and Paul Millsap is still good 
at the age of 35. So I want us to get our guy. So if, you, if we get our guy, I'll come on your next show and apologize. Okay. Well, I'll keep that in mind. But something else to think about, I suppose, is the Bulls roster doesn't need to be complete right now. Like, they have avenues to make trades through the season. We've seen this team, though, this management group have the ability to get their guy via trade, let's say, Frederick. So they may not start this season with the, the backup power for that we want to have in place, but if they can get like a Tice-level player from another team through the season somewhere, then then that's an option to consider as well. Like we, It would be ideal to have the entire team set up from day one heading into training camp in a, in a few weeks' time. But if that's not possible for whatever reason, if Millsap you know, chooses the Nets or the Warriors or whatever it might be and there's no other decent options out there right now, then we don't have to rush in and make a signing just to make a signing. We can, again, explore the trade avenue, explore trades when maybe some of these options who have signed in this offseason become available again, you know, December and January, or potentially even other guys um, out there, you know, that we may be able to, you know, some find a way to to bring in via trade. That's why I think, you know, Derek Jones Jr., maybe this first round pick, it, I, I don't think we should be locking him into the rotation just yet because maybe they're on the move. Like you said before, Fred, that's in a couple of months' time, maybe they're out and maybe that power forward comes in 30 games into the season, something like that. Yeah, it's a great point. I, I, hope, that, <laughs> I hope that's what he's doing because, I mean, this year is just so important. I, I am starting to, in the middle of the night, like, you know, I, I there's no one who's more see red than me. There's no one who's more positive on a team than me. But I also sometimes in the middle of the night wake up and stare at the drywall and think about who was our best defender last year, Dad Young. Uh, who was our yeah, second yeah, okay. best defender, Temple, in my opinion. They're gone. I am a little concerned about the defensive ability of this team, and that is echoes in my head and uh, this power forward issue. But I'm not going to try to think about that. I'm going to think about all the bright things about DeMar DeRozan, all the positives that have happened, and, you know, that we're going to be an offensive juggernaut. But if this goes south, oh, my gosh. I try not to think about Doug, but working with Doug like this has caused me to think like this. Well, you've always got the Cavs to refer back to and revert back to, Fred. So, I mean, they've got plenty of power forwards. They've got Larry Markkinen. They've got Evan Mobley. They've got Isaac Okoro, who can maybe run through the power forward position. Moby's the center in the future. Well, Doug, why don't you, why don't you uh, get me back on the right track? <laughs> You're counting on me to be the one to get you back on the right track? That seems like a dicey proposition right there. Uh, you know, I think I think if you look at how Donovan ran the Thunder the year before he came here, you know, they rent small all the time, and that's going to be a model for what the Bulls do. And you can like that model or dislike that model. But it probably fits better in the, the modern NBA than it did in the past. And I think that's just the expectation of how the Bulls will operate. And, you know, I, I think that they'll have good regular season results doing so. Are you back on now, Fred? Have we got you back? Slightly. I, Slightly. <laughs> not enough. I, I would, I would counter that, um, you know, that, that the, uh, Stephen Adams of 2000, was that 1819 when they were running those lineups was rock solid as an interior defender. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about our interior defense because I know how bad and how ugly things can get when you can't protect the rim and you can't rebound at a high level. And, you know, Patrick Williams last year, we all know this. We were the three people kind of conscious on it that he wasn't always great defensively. So there is so much pressure on him really upping, upping his game as a power forward. And the good news is, is he is a power forward, and that's where he played much better at. But uh, I do have concerns about that. 
you know, everything else is so rosy and so perfect for this team. Even like, you know, Jones, uh, just catching lobs from ball. I was thinking about that for like half a day. But then again, like I said at two or three in the morning when I wake up, look at the drywall, those thoughts creep into my head. What say you, Mark? <laughs> I've got a lot of thoughts about that, but I'll, I'll, I'll keep them to myself. But what about uh, Rusty Griswold? Oh, yeah, we forgot about Rusty. <laughs> well, we know Doug stops. <laughs> no solace there. What about you, Mark? Tell us again how Rusty uh, can play the He's not a four, though, right? I thought he was a five. Well, I think he can play four. He can play five. And people have, who have no idea who Rusty Griswold is, we're referring to Marcus Simonovic. Uh, uh, look, I'm not expecting him to get minutes early, but maybe he does. Maybe he's forced into a situation or Donovan's forced into a situation where, you know, Simonovic is playing some minutes. But I, I keep forgetting about Tony Bradley, to be fair. And Tony Bradley could be a sneaky, decent player for the Bulls as a defensive option behind Vucevic. So, I don't know. We'll see We'll see how it shakes out. But, um, yeah, I, I have some concerns about the defense. But so long as they're outscoring their opponents, and that's all that really matters. And hopefully this offense um, is good enough to, to facilitate that. But let's move on from the power forward position because, obviously, We'll learn in a few days as to what Millsap does. Hopefully, he chooses the Bulls, but um, we'll figure that out sooner rather than later. But uh, I wanted to discuss the other news item that I wanted to hit on was the um, Zach Levine firing his agency and moving to clutch sports. Uh, usually, I don't know, it's usually not something I'd really care about or care to discuss, but given that uh, Lonzo is a clutch client, obviously Lonzo signed in Chicago, Zach Levine, an upcoming restricted, unrestricted free agent, uh, ditches his management team, signs with Clutch. What were your thoughts when you saw those rumors, or the, not those rumors, those reports? Like, uh, is there anything to be concerned about here? Uh, personally, I'm not, but uh, I know there were some fans of the Bulls that were a little bit uneasy when they saw that news. But uh, Frederick, what, what did you see about, or what did you think about this uh, this Clutch news, this Rich Paul stuff with Zach? Uh, did it cause you any concern at all? None. A lot I do about nothing. Clutch re- <laughs> represents, uh, you know, ball. So Lonzo Ball, so unless I'm a moron, uh, <laughs> did you just sign a big contract with us? Hello? You know, I mean, what, what are we making a big deal about? I don't understand it. You know, he'll sign a max deal with the Bulls, provided we're a playoff team next year. Again, middle of the night, staring at the drywall thoughts coming. If things go south, there is a possibility, I guess, he could end up in L.A., but I think though that uh, the odds no. of that are very It's, it's very not possible. Slim. It's not possible. There's absolutely no way that happens. I think Doug's going to counter with it is possible, right, Doug? No, I mean, I I think it's just I don't understand why anyone talks about it at all. I, I really don't like, like the thing I saw on Twitter was like, oh, Zach's going to want a max contract now. Like, did you read anything Zach Levine said over the entire <laughs> summer? Was like, I think it's clear I've outplayed my contract. Yes, I want to get what I deserve. Like, like every quote he had was like, yes, I want a max contract. You better be prepared to pay me. Like I like the max doesn't change because he switched agencies, uh, so no, I I don't think it's relevant in any way, and it's just it's just one of those things. But there's I don't think there's any reason to be worried or concerned or even care at all. Well, there you go. I I completely agree, and the only reason why I wanted to address address it just in case there were any listeners who uh, had fears about it, let's say, um, but I I also have no concerns now. Clearly, Zach is chasing the max, and if anything, maybe those who are, aren't aren't the biggest fans of Levine, maybe those doubters of Levine who were maybe hoping of him accepting less than a max to stay in Chicago, maybe those fans are a little bit annoyed by this news um, because clearly Rich Paul, (laughs) Zach Levine, they're going to go after that. Every you know every dollar they possibly can, and you know they have the every right to do so, and I would support that. But I'm I'm assuming there's a small 
maybe vocal minority of the fan base who aren't fully convinced about Zach Levine just yet or still. And maybe those fans are, this is the news that maybe some of those, you know, those people would be a little bit concerned about. But then maybe there was a couple as well that are fearing that Zach all of a sudden now is going to go elsewhere because he's an unrestricted free agent. But I'm pretty confident that that's not the case. I think I'm a pretty big monitor of Bulls Twitter. I, I, I don't see these people, Mark. Am I missing something? Like, do they exist? Are they prominent? I'm, this sounds Twitter? like something I would say to Fred. Well, well, I mean, questioning I, I, I definitely see it. I, I have a few people in mind who I won't name who are routinely in my mentions telling me about how it's like Zach Levine. You know, he's only, uh, he hasn't done Jack or he hasn't proven it. He hasn't, doesn't deserve a max, these sorts of comments. So yes, they exist. They're, they're, they're small minorities. Maybe I'm amplifying their voices, but the, there are a few doofuses out there. Um, even some among the beat writing team who have hold uh, similar views, again, who won't be named on this podcast. But um, yeah, I think there is a small minority who, Think stupidly like that. <laughs> well, I think that one uh, writer you're referring to has a lot more in common with you uh, than, <laughs> than that one. So why don't we focus on the similarities? Let's not. Let's not. Let's let's move on. Let's move on to the next topic I wanted to talk about, which, yeah, I wanted to expand on this point because this is one I've been thinking about. This is one I've been, uh, you know, when I wake up at 2 a.m. my time and uh, stare up at the drywall, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. And it's around the... This idea that uh, Nikola Vucevic, uh, he's not the best player on the team, but I wonder, based on how the team is currently constructed, if he's the most important team, uh, most important player rather, to this team, based on how the team is sort of built going into this season, knowing what the expectations are of this of this team going into the season and then beyond the fact that he's probably the lone credible big on the roster. I was just of the opinion, the more I thought about it, that Vucevic all of a sudden, you know, he's someone obviously the team acquired at the deadline was a, a supplementary piece to Zach Levine. But now I'm kind of thinking about it, like this dude has just become even more important based on the moves the team has made. So uh, interested to get your thoughts on this concept that came to my mind at 2 a.m. in the morning when I've been looking at the drywall. Uh, is, is Vucevic the most important bull on the roster? What, what say you, Doug? I, I mean, absolutely. He's the one guy you can't afford to lose for any reason. Yeah. Uh, and And I think that for all the reasons you said, there's just... There's no replacement for him. If he's out, we're just screwed. Um, so you, you just can't, you can't lose him. You, you have to, you have to have him stay healthy all year round or the team is just completely hosed. And, you know, I think that's hopefully he's not had a, a big injury history. Hopefully that isn't a big problem, but it's, it's definitely, uh, definitely he's the most important, uh, as you said, not the best, but most important. Oh, how, how do you feel about that statement, Fred? Do you, do you agree I with me? I actually disagree quite ah, a bit. I think you know, Bradley is a more than capable. I think he's one of the most underrated players on this roster. I love the more I watch him, the more I love him. He's, he's, uh, defensively, I think you can make an argument. He's a fantastic fit with the starters. So, I mean, obviously, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Booch. I think he's very key. But I think like losing to me with it's unequivocally it's Zach. If you lose Zach for any amount of time, I think there's a lot more to be concerned about than Vooch. Like I think Vooch, you got a backup and Bradley's more than capable. I'd also you think he's going to play Rose. 48 minutes a game in multiple positions. I mean, like the Bulls have three big men on the roster right now. Mm. Like you know, I just feel like DeRozan could step up and, and yeah. take a bigger scoring role. Mm-hmm. Kobe could probably be fine in stretches to take on a bigger scoring role when, when mm-hmm. he has to be. You know, the second instead of like now he's got to be like the fourth, fourth or fifth score. Like now he moves up to like the third or fourth, which is still less than we counted on him in the past. Like I think we have a lot of scoring options 
you know, Vooch can take more shots. You know, Ball can probably take a couple more shots. Pat Williams might be able to get some opportunity. Like, I don't think we're going to lack offensive options, but like, there's just no big men at all on the roster. And, and Bradley's like a 20 minute a night guy. And, you know, if, if Vooch is gone, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll resolve that before the season's over and we'll, we'll or yeah. offseason rather is over and we'll add some more guys. Clearly we should add whatever bodies we had left are going to be big men, you would think. Uh, so maybe, maybe we'll somehow, you know, luck our way into someone that's better than what looks like we'll do. But if not, it's, it's going to be really, really tough to sustain a loss of Vucevic in terms of an injury. On a day to day night when everyone's healthy, I don't think he's the most important guy. But if, if you lost the guy, he's the guy I think I'd be least comfortable losing for a long period of time. Yeah, but Doug, yeah. wouldn't yeah. you counter? I mean, I know you're not a fan of Rusty, but we got Rusty and Bradley behind him. What do you have behind Patrick Williams? Well, it's the same well, thing. Got- you got Bradley behind Williams. You can also go small. You, you go small. I mean, you, you swing DeMar up to power forward. You play more Troy Brown Jr. You play Caruso more. You're playing more, you know, three-guard lineups. So it's not ideal, but there's ways to, to counter that. Whereas if if Vucevic goes down for whatever reason, and, and maybe I should word it, you know, most irreplaceable player, if you want, if that suits you better, Fred. Like, to me, like, if Zach goes down, obviously that's not, not ideal. The Bulls lose, you know, an all-star level player. But... To Doug's point, you can fill him in with more more volume through Demar. You can put Kobe in more, and you know he we know what he can do as a scoring option. Uh, Lonzo gets more of an opportunity. So to me, there's ways of curtailing his absence some. Whereas with Vucevic, like there goes your entire offense from you know the block. Let's say like yeah, yes, you can get Tony Bradley to come in and and do some things defensively from the center position. But who the hell's scoring inside for this team if, if Vucevic goes? And not to mention that he's uh he's he, his shooting as well from the big man position, which makes that, that that's what makes the Demar thing happen as well. Funny you mentioned this. Uh, you know, we didn't for the audience' sake, we didn't get these topics till about you know half an hour before <laughs> the show, so I didn't even see it until you know ten minutes before we started. But it's 45. funny you brought this topic up because you know I love Vooch. I think he's great. I think he's going to be a huge reason we're going to win games. But I also was thinking again at the looking at the drywall two in the morning. <laughs> You know, and you guys look at a lot of drywall. <laughs> just saying, like this is—I I don't know if I've ever heard this phrase before in my life, and it's been thrown out like a dozen times in this podcast. Well, I'm—I'm I'm just mimicking Fred, to be honest with you. But he—he he must be a big fan of plaster or whatever it is. <laughs> you don't—you've never had those moments where you wake up in the middle of the night and you just stare at a wall. I mean, I'm just looking at the the obsessed uh, 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 at night, you know. <laughs> The best is, uh, I'm going to call him uh, Milk and Law. Is that it? It's been a while. I, I think Vucevic is so important because when you think of what we gave up for him, we gave up essentially three first-round picks. When you consider Wendell Carter Jr. was a lottery pick who's 22 years old, and Mark and I seem to think he's got a high ceiling. You gave up a, a lottery pick this year and then another first-rounder coming up. That's why he's so freaking important. And I was thinking about it the other day, like, how would this team look if we didn't make that trade and we just did everything else? Like with Wendell Cutter Jr. at the center position, whoever we would have drafted with a lot, with a lottery pick this year and we still held on to our number one, couldn't you have just added ball and added, and added, um, DeRozan? And what, how would that change the team? I think he'd be much better interior defensive wise. I mean, I don't think we'd be as good, but it still would probably give you a little bit more uh, what's the word I'm trying to look for? A little bit more, you know, chances to miss, right? Like this is really, we got to hit with this team and we got to hit now. 
today, uh, next this year, and next year. We have to be at least challenging in 2023. What say you? Yeah, I mean that's an interesting. It's an interesting thought exercise. I know a lot of a lot of people were very much out on the Wendell Carter experience uh, by the time the trade deadline ran ran around. So uh, I think a lot of people would disagree with the notion. But you know, following your thoughts there, I mean, you would have you would obviously have Wendell. You would have your twenty twenty one first round pick, or maybe you don't. Like you, you you've got back your twenty twenty one pick. You got back your twenty three pick. Maybe you package them up. And Wendell for something different. Maybe it's not for Vucevic. Maybe you still trade him in the offseason, but um, maybe it's for, for a different looking looking package. Maybe it is for a power forward type. You still do your DeMar and Lonzo thing, and then you have just a, a jack-of-all-trades center to come through. And maybe, maybe that, in, in a, uh, an alternative sort of reality, let's say, maybe that makes more sense. But um, I, I don't know, based on the information at, at at our disposal at present, I think it still was the right move, but um, it is interesting because like Wendell would be the perfect backup center for this team right now, but uh, obviously that can't happen. I wouldn't be surprised if in two years you look back at that trade and say this wasn't a great idea. And and that, that's often the case when you're trading young for old. You know, if yeah. the young guy pans out and the old guy just, you know, whatever, declines or, or maybe he's fine and he does exactly what you expected to, but then his period is over, right? Like in two years... You know, Vooch's time with the Bulls ends. And if you didn't do something significant in those two years and then Wendell Carter has, you know, some growth, then you'd be like, wow, we could have had this guy who's really good now. And and now we had Vooch for a couple of years and it was fine, I guess. But, you know, you you could look at that. So it wouldn't surprise me if that happens again. It's it's just trading for young for old thing. And it sort of gets down to and, and this is kind of how you view the Nance thing as well. Like with Larry Nance. If you kept him, it was sort of like we're going to go all in move, and every other move the Bulls made has really been an all in type move. Mm-hmm. And and then on that one, they're like, well, but we're going to be a little bit nervous about how much we spend or whatever. Maybe Nance doesn't push us over the top. Well, I mean, like Vucevic didn't push you over the top, and you know, Demar Derozan didn't push you over the top. And yeah, saving five million dollars isn't going to be enough to ever get you a player that pushes you over the top later anyway. So it, it's it's kind of like you yeah. And on the other hand, you can say, well, by doing this and getting this first round draft pick, they're not putting all their eggs in one basket. They're, they're starting to rebuild the asset base for the inevitability of this, this team needs to add some talent later, you know, so they're not all out all these picks. So it's just going to be interesting to see how, how this, this whole thing pans out. Like with the Nance move, they ended up going kind of young instead of older. Uh, they went with a piece that'll help them in the future instead of the piece that will help them right now, which has sort of been the opposite of every other move they've made. And, you know, it, will will the win now moves they've made be better than the long term assets they gave up? And will the you know time they passed on a win now move to get a more long term asset? Will that work out? I guess you know with all those things, like like all things, we'll just see how it goes over the next uh, few years. Yeah, I, I think that's most certainly fair, and it to a degree results will dictate the narrative. But at the same time, based on the process that we've seen this off season, then. And I mentioned this before, but I'm not wedded to the idea that this is the team for the next two, three years. Like, who's to say Vucevic isn't moved uh, or Demar isn't moved? I mean, I've, I've talked about the importance of Vucevic here, and I think that's true. But, you know, based on how this team has pivoted so quickly, the way they've turned around the, the entire roster, essentially beyond Zach and Kobe, and, and who knows if Kobe's here for, for most of this season, we'll, we'll obviously find out. But, you know... Uh, based on what we've seen this offseason, I guess my point is that um, I think we should be confident that if things aren't shaping up a certain way, that they will pivot quickly and, p- and pivot in a way that maybe we're not expecting them, them to do so, like like the Vucevic trade. We didn't necessarily see that coming. Uh, the DeRozan 
stuff. I mean, we, we heard about that day or two before, but that was something a lot of us hadn't considered. The Lonzo was the one, you know, one one thing that was sort of, uh, you know, we had been hearing about for months and months and months. But I guess my point is, if for whatever reason it's shaping up where it's not working, then unlike maybe some other teams or other management groups, then I have the confidence now in AK and Mark Eversley that they'll recognize that and, and make a move and change it up as quick as possible. So I, I guess, again, maybe I'm being ignorant, maybe I'm being naive, but I've I've got that hope at the moment based on what I've seen in this offseason. Let me, let me throw one kind of counter thing to that. Do mm-hmm. you remember how many people were on the first team, John Paxson, that were on the second year he coached? Or sorry, um, was JM and how many were on that second year team? Yeah, yeah, he flipped that roster pretty quickly too. Turned yeah. almost over the, almost the entire roster. It's really easy to get rid of all the guys that someone else had mm-hmm. and say like, yeah, all these guys that the previous regime had that I have no personal connection to, yeah. I can look at them, you know, very, very dispassionately without emotion and just flip the whole roster. It's a lot harder after you put your name on all of these moves and you brought them all in to do that same thing. And, and I think you see that across you know, most general managers across most sports. Like, I don't think that's unique to any one individual. I don't think it's unique to the sport of basketball. I think that's just just part of human nature that people get a little bit more attached. And when they see a vision come out, they want to see it play through for a little bit longer. And so they, they tend to be more patient with it. And so I would be very surprised if this is not the gist of this team for this year and next year. Um, I guess we'll see if if that proves out to be the case. But I think this is kind of like who you're going to see for the next two seasons. Let me just jump in here and say to add to this. What can you do? You've traded four first-round picks, essentially. I mean, like, there's only so much. What they've done is they've taken a path of acting like a big market team by trading assets. When Paxson took over for that moron Kraus, we had four straight years of 19 wins. In the second year of his rebuild, we won 47 games. How did he do it? He went through the draft, right? He drafted Kirk. He drafted Dang. He drafted uh, Ben Gordon. And we were built around the only two holdovers were Tyson Chandler and Eddie Curry. He got he turned Curry into Noah, and we were off and running. You know, actually building a, a, actually had a contender in 2000, you know, 10, 11, 12. So what, what do, what's different here? Well, he's just trading draft assets for established good players. It's another way to do it, and I'm fine with it. I'm all excited about it. But if this doesn't work, you, there really isn't – what is the other option? No, this is it, man. This is it. Like, there is no other option. You can't suddenly go young and ask me to wait another eight years to play that game. I'm not doing that. You can maybe trade Vucevic for something else. You know, I'm not necessarily saying you trade Vucevic – for uh, for players or two first round picks for him. No, but maybe you're getting a player of maybe you're getting a player of similar value or similar worth or similar impact, but at a different similar added, mark. What's, what's that? It won't won't be remotely similar. Well, we don't know that. We don't know that. I think we do know that. Doug, well, tell him that, please. Tell him. <laughs> we certainly will likely not get more for Vucevic than we gave up. No, you won't get you, more. You, you might get a different, you know, player. Doug, but if we if we look. If we look to trade him, oh, oh my bad. I, I I forgot that I was using my handheld mic. <laughs> and I, I, I was going to say, did you just go to the airport? Are you I'm, wearing, I'm, wearing, I'm wearing a headset, so I have like the <laughs> mic on, but I I use my handheld mic for podcasting because the sound quality is better. And I and I had set it down for a second to to look something up, and then uh, then I I didn't pick it back up because I thought my headset mic was fine. So there you go. 
Yeah, I, I don't think we'll get a better player than Vooch for no, than no, we no. gave up. Him. I don't think we'll get a better player for Vooch than Vooch. So it's really just if you do trade him, you're going to be making a lateral move somewhere, yeah. and you hope that someone else needs Vooch more than you do, and that you need what that other team has. But then you look at like how the Bulls roster is shaped up, and you try to figure out how likely that is. Well, you know, we'd have to trade Vooch for a different center almost because we have no big man on the roster, right? So it's really hard to see where that type of lateral trade is going to improve the team based on how the team is built. Like if you had to trade Zach for Bradley Beal or something, then, you know, the Wizards got a little younger and you felt you got a little better. Like you could see how that could work like laterally or you could see where maybe you, if Kobe starts busting out, you trade Zach for a star power forward or something. And you could see how a lateral move there works out. It's really hard to see where we can make a lateral Vooch trade. And if we trade him for like less young assets, like we trade him for picks and we decide we're going to rebuild and we don't get as good a package as we gave up, you know, you'd still probably take it better to have two, say, mid round picks instead of an early one and a mid round pick or something, you know, or, or a mid and late, you know, you still rather would get that than, than sit on, a, on his deal if you have to, but. It'll be ugly, I think, if we have to trade Vooch. Like, I don't think that'll be a good scenario for the Bulls. I think we'll be very disappointed if that ends up happening. Yeah, fair. Fair, fair, fair. And, and, and another thing I do want to point out, you know, just that 2000, as Doug mentioned, the 2003 rebuild, four rebuild, what, what the most amazing thing about that thing is. No, we're, we're not going on about Gar Pax. I, I just want to say You've talked about Paxson enough. <laughs> I want to state one thing. The best asset they had was Jay Williams, who almost immediately ended his career on a, on a motorbike. So, like, all you were left with was Tyson Chandler and Eddie Curry. It's a miracle. At least this or our best player, Zach Levine, like, he was here. And you turned a lot of these other assets into, into good players, which is great. I'm all on, I'm all on board. It doesn't sound like you are. It doesn't sound I, like I you really are. It really doesn't. It sounds like <laughs> you're on board the way you're on board with Kirk Heinrich. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the level of on board you are, which is for those who who know Fred well. No, that's not a lot of on board. Maybe it's the Monday Blues or something. But you you sound different more generally, and there's been a lot of Paxson, um, or, you know, ampl- amplifying Paxson to minimize Paxson references. <laughs> yeah, seven wins this year. It's got to be forty-seven. That's what yeah. I want. I, I don't get it. Seventy-seven wins to make the well, seven seventy-seven process. wins yeah. would be great. But forty-seven is like a key number for me. They have to hit forty-seven this year, or you know, over. The Vegas 41 and a half. Anything below that will be a disaster to me. Well, AK for the sevens. There you go, 47. Here, here's there what I think. They just, you just want to see him get to the second round somehow. Yeah. I think, I think if that happens, uh, it'll, it will be a snowball effect in terms of the leeway of what it allows them to do for the following season. If they, if they go out in the first round, they still may have some leeway. If it's like a really tight series or they play someone really well and it's a good team, like, they take the Bucks to seven games in the first round or something, but ultimately lose. Then I don't think anyone's gonna gonna you know be upset about the effort. But you know you you have to make the playoffs and then you have to show well in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and showing well in most cases is a first round victory. Uh, yeah, there are a few cases like I said where maybe a first round loss, if, depending who it was against and how close it was, could could be viewed okay. But I, I think that's ultimately uh, what what you want to see from this team because if you if this team is something that gets blown up and this isn't like the group, it, it's kind of funny. I mean, everyone is universally very excited about this bull season because it's been so long since we've been any good, right? Yeah. We sure. start looking at like what is the likely outcome, and I still think most people have the likely outcome as a first round loss. And then you think like if you could just be a team that has a lot of older players on it, like that are gonna start going downhill. 
is sitting just underneath the luxury tax and is out like th- like uh, two first uh, future first round picks and can't trade a pick outright until like 2028 or 2029 or whatever. I, I don't even know if we can trade one outright at all. Uh, I think we may have sent that that one to San Antonio protected in such a way that it could potentially convey in any year up until you're not allowed to trade picks anymore. Uh, you know, if you just said, "Wow, I'm a first round team that's at the tax level, has declining players generally." And, you know, is out two first round picks, you'd say that's a pretty bad situation to be in. And so if we don't show well in the playoffs, it's kind of exactly where we are. Uh, so, you know, like there's, there's some, some downside here. It wouldn't surprise me if a year or two from now, people are sort of cursing this, this GM group for what they did. And, you know, I, I just say, you know, if that happens, uh, you sh- we should go back to this podcast and listen to me say, you know what? After so many years of so awful, it'll just feel good to be relevant again. Yeah. yeah. Even though I know this bus, like this whole ride probably isn't going anywhere. Like Fred's idea of us winning the title is, is, you know, it's like a real long shot. Like there's, there's paths that it can happen, but they're real long shots, but that's okay. Like it's been so long since we've been even remotely relevant or enjoyable to watch that even if this thing kind of goes off the rails and the first round exits for two years and then we, we blow it up, at least have been infinitely better than the last four or five years. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm okay with that at this point in time. Like I, it's, it's not like an ideal situation, but I'm okay with at least enjoying a team that's better than average, at least that I expect to be better than average for the first time in, in four or five seasons. Let me follow up on that. Cause I, I there's something I really need to hammer home here because I know I'm right on this one. The oh, floor boy. for this team has been raised by all the moves they've made in the, you know, this offseason, but the ceiling is still going to be determined by three players who were already here in 2020. And that's Zach Levine, Patrick Williams, and Kobe White. If Zach Levine can take another step, if Patrick Williams can approach his defensive ceiling, we're going to be fine. And if Kobe White ends up being a force off the bench and garners six man of the year votes and, you know, even challenges for the trophy, we're going to be fine. We're going to be really special. And I, I even think like a 2009 type of playoff series, Doug, I, I, I agree with your point for the most part with the exception that if we play the Bucks or Milwaukee, if we end up being like a seven seed. The Bucks are Milwaukee. The Bucks, Bucks are Milwaukee. <laughs> we play the Bucks or the Nets in round one. Excuse me. It's been a long evening. Um, but, <laughs> Too much drywall. <laughs> Too much drywall all around me. Uh, we play the Bucks or the Nets in round one, and we, you know, go seven games. It's an exciting series. Our young players really show out. I think it's going to be incredible next year, the excitement about the Bulls going into the next season. We'll have two number one picks, right? Um, it's going to, we could do a lot with that. It's going to be incredible. But yeah, you know, you're right. If we don't make the playoffs, my goodness. Um, it, it sounded like you were back then for a minute. It sounded like you were back to being C Red Fred, but then you kind of can I, can uh, I just say like you, you said some insane stuff in there. Like, <laughs> like Kobe, like Kobe White and Patrick Williams are two of the three most important players of this team. If if Kobe White and Pat Williams, unless they just make massive strides forward, which hey, that would be great. The team will be just perfect if these if these guys are numbers uh, two and three and important on the team. That means they became like made leaps that are better than any player could reasonably expect to ever make between this offseason or last season and this season. And Kobe White, who missed the whole offseason with shoulder surgery and isn't even going to be back at the start of the season, almost certainly isn't going to make such a leap. That's just in a, it's just a crazy thought to think it's a possibility uh, at no, this so. point based on based on what's happened. I mean, DeMar DeRozan and Vucevic and Ball should be so much better than these guys. It's ridiculous. 
if you, I, I sort of understand why people maybe hold out that hope for Pat Williams, like sort of, but like Kobe White, his odds of being better than those those three guys I just named are <laughs> exceptionally small. Like, Doug, at any you realize how career, important Patrick Williams career. is to this team defensively? He's incredibly important to this team defensively. We all know what Vucevic is. We all know what DeMar DeRozan is. Yeah, we, we know what know they're going to give us. better players than Patrick Williams. You know what they're yes, going to give you, but they're still more that. important. They're still more I important. It. That's why our floor is high. I'm talking about our ceiling. For our ceiling to be as high as I want it to be, which is a seven title in 2023, Williams has to be <laughs> fantastic defensively. Sure, sure. If if your if your ceiling is title, yes, you need some dude who's nowhere freaking near All Star level to become an All Star. <laughs> and if that's Patrick Williams, sure. If it's some dude we draft this year, or some guy who get in the second round, or if it's Rusty, you know, like <laughs> any guy that can can become a superstar. That like is like nowhere freaking near a superstar in this team. Maybe maybe Tony Bradley will become a superstar. Who knows? You just never know. Like I mean, yeah, I guess if if that happens, sure, then 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 things will be great. But I, I mean, and maybe to your point, if the Bulls are to be a title contender, that's exactly what they need. Is they need a guy to take a step that's extremely unlikely to happen. They need some type of extremely unlikely thing to happen, and that's really honestly how most teams. Uh, that win the title get there. Like if you looked at Giannis before he was a superstar and you just looked at him as a draft prospect, as a guy who can't remotely shoot and is, is very raw and said he's going to be the MVP of the league, that's like an extraordinarily unlikely thing to think is going to happen for a guy when he was drafted at, at his position and looking at him as a prospect. And, you know, same with Steph Curry or like all these guys. So, you know, these unlikely things happen that someone is going to make those steps and we need a guy to make those. And maybe Pat Williams is the most likely of the, the guys to make that unlikely leap. But it's, it's still, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's holding out a lot of hope that I, I think you're going to be disappointed if it's an expectation rather than just a hope. So, Doug, all you had to do was say you agreed with me. It was a big, long, <laughs> winding conversation that you agreed with me. Don't you agree? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Or maybe, maybe I do. We're just arguing semantics. Like it'll be because Pat Williams is amazing, but it doesn't make him the most important guy on the team next year. Like all these other guys who you expect to be really good. Like maybe Zach Levine will become better than James Harden, and he'll make some some leap up to be the number one player in the entire NBA, and he'll be the most important guy. Maybe DeMar DeRozan will just be way better than we think he can be, or Vucevic will, or whatever. Like. You know, I don't, I, I guess it's like the only reason is because Pat Williams is only 20, only 20, so young. <laughs> very young. <laughs> very young. The youngest 20 year old in the NBA. The I think he's still 19 in Hawaii, actually. Isn't it? He just turned 20, right? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. A few last week. Yeah. Do you want to end with a story time from Fred? Well, if you've got time, it's 10 p.m. I know, I know it's uh, past your bedtime. Podcast story time with Fred? <laughs> we talked about car packs for like half the show for no reason whatsoever. So yeah. I just I don't know. Well, I, I, I don't I, I don't I, think I, you should I, down. I do want to hear story time. I do love you have you have really good stories very often. I, I'm gonna retire. Wait wait, 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 before you start, let me play the jingle. Gather round, children. It's time for a story from our good friend C Red Fred. All right, now it's story time with C. Red Fred. Frederick, what do you have for us? So I, I was just reminded of a great story. Before we go any further, though, I do want to talk about fruit of the year. There's four contenders of fruit of the year this year. Strawberry, Honeycrisp apple, watermelon, and orange. What's your fruit of the year, Doug? 
I have no idea where this is going. <laughs> I'm just asking. I'm taking Dave Damashek's uh, idea. I mean, idea. Sorry, sorry there. Were, were the, the, it was uh, Honeycrisp Apple? Strawberry, Honeycrisp Apple, Watermelon, and Orange are, are I, the four well, nominees. Oranges and Watermelon are my two favorite fruits along with blueberries. So I'm going to go with Watermelon <laughs> out of that, that list, though. Uh, I'll I'll say I'll say strawberries to this ridiculous question, but uh, yeah, where what is the point of this? I'm just trying to get your opinion. It's a battle to the end of the year. I'd love to get your feedback on it. Uh, I'll okay. announce it in December. I, I was waiting for you to just say you're wrong. It's it's actually Hanker's Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm so more, confused more right now. Higher fiber. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, story time. So I was just reminded of the story with my son uh, when we had a uh, he had a tryout the other day, and I forgot my. Uh, my pants. I, I, so. <laughs> wait, 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 wait! Stop, 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 stop! As in, you walked out the door without pants on? Because you've, you've done that before, I'm sure. We came, we came from work, and I, I had my gym bag. I came from work, picked them up, ran to the gym, and I had to wear my, you know, basically my suit during. Look like Pat Riley in 1993, you know, on the on the sidelines uh, while the kids are running hey. around. I like to wear my sweats and get involved. And anyhow, so it reminded me of a story that happened in high school. Good story here. Me and my friend Nick, uh, I won't embarrass him with his last name. We'll just call him Nick uh, P. We used to get go to school at 6.30 in the morning before class and play basketball, like just for two hours, just get a workout in, one-on-one, you know, a thousand shots. Everything was great. And one day, this guy, he lived in Alsa. We went to high school in Burbank. So it's a good, you know, 20-minute ride. Forgot He forgot his pants. So we, we were in the, after the shower, he's like, oh, my God, I forgot my pants. Nick is six feet. Two, two, two twenty-five. The only guy we knew within a five-mile radius was our friend Steve Trudeau, who happens to be about five seven, one fifty. <laughs> Trudeau brought his an extra pair of pants. So Nick had two options. Now, what would you do in this situation? Would you just wear your your gym shorts throughout school all day and get you know have to deal with the uh, result, which would be a suspension, or would you wear the pants of a five seven one hundred fifty pound young man named Steve Trudeau. What would you do? Couldn't I just call in sick that day or something? It was, it was eight fifteen. We're in the locker room, about ready to go into school, and he's got a choice: Do you wear your gym shorts or do you take Steve's <laughs> pants and wear his pants throughout the day? Uh, how would he even fit in Steve's pants? <laughs> He managed to fit. It was very tight. And he looked like, they looked like capri pants is the best way I could describe it. I mean, they were, the corduroy pants that almost split. Again, the guy is six feet two. You know, he had white socks. It's a cross between skinny jeans and capris. That's what you're saying. (laughs) All I'm saying is he walked around like Frankenstein. It was the funniest. I, I can't even describe how insanely ridiculous this looked. And every comment, everywhere he turned, the teacher would be like, Nick, what the hell is with your pants? Pants, <laughs> comment about the pants. He would walk down the hall and I'd scream, hey, look at the moron with the, with the capri pants. It was like, I've never seen anything someone say. So I want to know from you two, what would you have done? What would you have done in that situation? Would you have worn the 5'7", 150-pound man's pants that were like a 30 when he was like a 36? Or would you just worn the shorts and taken the suspension? I, I, I think at this point I'm with Mark. I'd, I'd take a trip to the nurse's office and, uh, you know, just claim, claim nausea. Well, the whole day. When he sat down, he had to unbuckle his pants because they were too tight. Uh, 
God, I have to find a, pair, a picture to send this out. It was That's fine. It's fine. <laughs> we don't need to see it. Next four. Next question. Four contenders for breakfast side. Oh my God! Are you serious? Uh, are we? Are you like just like on some website? Just what trying is wrong to do with Survey you? results? Are you getting like thirty cents for every answer you plug in? I mean, I don't understand <laughs> why we so have a story weird today. about like your your high school friends Capri pants, favorite fruit and favorite breakfast side. <laughs> seems Guys. like a really. You seem a little unhinged. I mean, should we take you to the ER? Like more than usual. It seems seems like a little weird. This is. Uh, I mean, like, this doesn't seem normal. You're having a stroke. It was 10.04. I was up at like 5.30. It's been a long day. I just wanted to talk a little bit off basketball, get off of basketball and talk some uh, other things I don't think you guys can handle it, so let's call it a day. Yeah, I, th- I think that's wise. Let's, let's, let's... handle breakfast sides? <laughs> you don't want to. You can't you handle the truth. <laughs> you, you don't want to handle a, a mature conversation about what's the best breakfast side. Is it potatoes? Is it bacon, <laughs> ham, or sausage? One of those four. You don't want to handle it? We won't handle no, it? we won't have sure it. Well, let's leave this for the next podcast, this burning question that um, must be answered. We'll, uh, oh, we'll leave there's a clear answer to it. Oh, okay. Is there? Well, I, I got to say I'm uh, I'm partial to him. All right. What's your, what's your take? Mark? I didn't even listen to the uh, to the possible options, to be fair. I was trying to wrap this podcast up because it's – uh, Probably plant, plant-based like Lori, I bet. The correct answer <laughs> is bacon. Okay. Wow. Well, good to know. Great. All right. All right. Let's call a podcast here because uh, the last—I don't know what happened. Over, to be fair, over the you last five to ten minutes. I might just delete the whole <laughs> damn thing. To be honest with you, uh, this was one of the strangest podcasts I've ever recorded. Uh, Frederick, I don't know what was up with you today, mate, but there was something, something wrong. A lot of drywall references. Saying hello a lot. You, you said that at least like four or five times. These I, Apple I, questions. I Go up to your wife. Sleep in school year. If you're having a stroke, <laughs> you might need to go to the ER. Like, just get your blood pressure checked. You know, just just check these important things. Oh man. Oh, uh, yeah. How do I segue out of this one? Well, I have no idea how to. There's but, no uh, way. There's, there's no way. There's no way. Godspeed. There's nowhere to go here. Godspeed. Well, I don't know. Yeah, this this podcast is a complete wreck at this point. Don't so even, what I'll, don't even tell them where to find us. <laughs> I'm not going to tell them where to find you guys because last time I asked. Check out my article on Bulls Confidential when you get a chance. Well, there you go. Well, I won't ask you guys to plug your stuff because last time I did, uh, you did a terrible job of it. So uh, I'll just plug my stuff. So people, if you want to follow me online at MK Hoops at Bulls HQ Pod, if you want to be part of the Bulls HQ Discord, the invite to the Discord is, in, is part of this episode description. You, you know, if you find me, you can find Fred and Doug. So if you <laughs> if you choose to after this podcast, um, we were hopeful of maybe doing more podcasts in the future amongst us three. But um, based on the last five to ten minutes, maybe. Maybe we should shelve that idea. I, I won't. Uh, I won't allude to that anymore. But um, thank you for tuning in to this episode, this weird, stupid episode of Bulls HQ. Appreciate everyone for tuning in and supporting the podcast during the off season. We'll be back next week to talk more Bulls. But until then, this has been Bulls HQ. Speak next time, Bulls fans. I'm a 
Mira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.